We're going to go ahead and get started. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Bible Studies. Glad you're here. Good to see everybody. It's a pretty exciting night here. And so we're glad you're here, that you brave the elements, and that you've come to participate in our Bible study time. We're going to begin our time in prayer, so let's pray. Father, thanks for meeting with us here. Uh, We have gathered in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you're here in our midst. We pray that your presence would be known to us, that we would recognize your presence. We'd recognize that you're here, and that God, as we recognize your presence, we would have an open ear, open heart, open mind to receive what you want to say, what you want to reveal tonight. I pray for revelation tonight. I ask God for just a supernatural meeting up with you for each of us, right where we're at, right in in the spot we're in, what we're going through, the things that we're facing, the things that are coming up in our life. I pray, God, a meeting point right here and right now with you. I just ask you, God, that we would hear what you have to say and that we would apply that to our lives. Thanks for your presence again. Thanks, God, for this opportunity to meet with you. And we give you praise. Ask God that you'd have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have a Bible, we're going to open up to Acts chapter 10. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table here to use. Uh, If you need a Bible, you can always feel free to take one. We obtain Bibles to give away, so you can have that if you would like it. Acts chapter 10, go ahead and open up there. Just a quick reminder. If you'd like to participate in Monday Night Bible Study, and perhaps you're not here physically present, but you listen to it as a podcast online somewhere, uh, you can participate uh, by leaving us a message. Your message could be a comment or a question, and uh, you could use it. Uh, the, the website that you go to is www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. Uh, if you go there at speakpipe dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study. You'll find a button to toggle. Toggle that button, and you leave us uh, what would be or what would appear to be a voice mail message, and we will endeavor to play that to hear your comment, your question, and to uh, have you participate that way. We'd love to to have you use that. So check it out. Uh, Acts chapter ten. I need a volunteer to read verse thirty three. All right, so thanks for reading that. And just set the, uh, what's going on here is, there's a man named Cornelius. Uh, He is a Gentile who had come into faith with Jesus. And just keep in mind that at this time, the people that were running the church, the, the, the church of Jesus, the Christian church, they weren't so sure that Gentiles could be Christians. And for their experience and for what they had uh, really seen and known, it was it was Jewish people who were converting over into Christianity, and they were the Christians that they had. So all of the disciples, of course, were Jewish first, and they were Christians. Jesus was Jewish, and so it seemed like a Jewish thing to them, and they weren't sure that really Gentiles could be Christians. Now, we know looking back, kind of hindsight, that there's plenty in the Old Testament that told them that Gentiles were included in this. There's plenty that were pro- was prophesied over Abraham. Plenty that was prophesied about his seed being a blessing to the whole earth. Plenty about how in, in, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and some of those prophecies, how this was going to be more than just the Jewish people. And so there was plenty in the Old Testament to let them know that, but they were living out of their experience, which is what we do. That's what people do. We're li- they're living within their experiences. They're living within what they had seen and what they had known. And so they weren't quite sure about it. And so Cornelius was having a meeting in his house. He was somebody that had come to know Jesus, and he had received a revelation. An angel appeared to him and told him to send for Peter, who it boiled down was Peter. And he had described the house he was in, the man he was staying with, the angel did to him, and said in the city he was in, he said, send two men to this city, to this man's house, to Simon the Tanner, and you'll find a man there, Peter, Tell him to come and, and, and have him come and have him speak to you. And so Cornelius got his, his men together, sent him out, and they went and they got Peter and they brought him back. 
And in the idea behind that, and the word picture, and remember what, you know, we talk about the Bible. The Bible tells stories and gives word pictures. The Bible isn't a textbook per se. It's, it's a book about people, and it's a book that people are telling their stories, and they're telling their accounts of how things happen. And so the story that we are being told here is of a man named Cornelius who sends for Peter like a hungry man would send for food. That's the idea. And so, you get that idea from this. It's, this isn't something, don't get it in your mind, like all these technical things. It's not technical like that. It's, it's a story. It's a human story about Cornelius who wanted more. He wants more of Jesus. He wants more of what God has for him. And so he sends, he follows the direction, and God knows that. And so God sends an angel to him. A supernatural occurrence, a supernatural appearance happens to him. And he says, alright, Here's what I want you to do. Send for this guy. And tells him exactly where to find him. So that's what Cornelius does. He sends for Peter. And so Peter, you know, the, the men go there. They tell him, this is who we've come from. This is what's happened. It's clearly God who set this up. Clearly. I mean, Peter knew that those men didn't know he was staying there. He knew that this was something that just doesn't happen. That this just didn't come a day's journey out of nowhere to bother him. You know, so, so this was clearly something that God was setting up, clearly something that God was doing. And so, like a hungry man, he, he sends for food. He sends for something he's hungry for. And, and God says, Peter's the one you want. Peter's who you, you want to have come here. Peter's the one that's got the food to feed you. And so you're hungry, and he's the one that's going to meet that need. And so Cornelius was obedient to the heavenly vision. He was obedient to what God said. And, and don't lose track here, but Peter also was obedient to the heavenly vision too. Because God set up Peter just like he set up Cornelius because this meeting was going to take place. This was going to happen. And so both of these men were obedient to the heavenly vision that God had given them. And that's a powerful statement. Because when you get one person obedient to the heavenly vision, you get something really powerful happening. You get two guys obedient to the heavenly vision that get together, and there's something that is multiplied through that exponentially that something powerful is about to happen. That's why you think about that where we put ourselves, if we continually will put ourselves in those situations where we're obedient to what God has for us, we're obedient to the vision that God gives us, there comes those moments where we run into that person. And I mean, that's effective. If you're obedient to what God gives you, that's effective. Don't, be, don't, don't get me wrong about this. And you should be. But you look for those moments when that, that other person that's obedient to that heavenly vision comes in the line. And you guys are in the same place at the same time, for the same reasons. And there's something really exponentially powerful about that. And don't neglect that. And don't look at that and scoff at that, but recognize that that's a really super powerful thing. So here are these two. They, they, they come into this place. And there's four things about these verses I want you to, this verse that I want you to see. And I'm just going to give it to you ahead of time, and then we're going to fill in the blanks. Here's the four things I got out of this. We're here was the first thing. God is here is the second thing. We are ready to listen is the third thing. And the fourth thing, it is good. Alright, so let me go through those. We're here. God is here. We're ready to listen. And it's good. It is good. Right, in that verse. And so what you have here is you have Cornelius speaking to Peter. And he is welcoming him to this. So somebody look up First Peter three eighteen. We're going to start with we are here. First Peter three eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Alright, so part of the reason that Jesus died, part of the reason that he suffered, part of the reason that he endured what he endured, part of the purpose behind that was to bring us to God. I know that seems really obvious, but there's something powerful 
about understanding that part of the work of Christ is so that we're with God, that we're in His presence, that we are in that presence that only He brings into our life. And so we find ourselves sharing space with God. Why? Because that was what Jesus died for, one of the things. One of the things He gave His life for, one of the things that He suffered for was so that we could be in the presence of God. So that we could be present. And that God could be present at the same time. And it's amazing to me that I've read enough articles, I've read enough commentaries, I've read enough books where it seems to indicate in the books that God cannot be in the same space that we're in. And I don't know if you've ever read that, you've ever heard that before, but it's, it's, it's amazing to me that the good-meaning, well-meaning, and strong people, apparently in their faith Christians, would believe that. Because it flies in the face of the work of Jesus, the redemptive work of Jesus. Jesus died so that we could be with God. Jesus suffered so that we could be with God, that we could share that space with God. And so, to deny that somehow and to say, well, he can't share the same space with us. Anybody ever hear this before? Or am I just, or am I just talking to myself? You ever hear this before? Because the argument goes like this. Well, we're sinful, okay? And he can't look on sin, so he can't be in the same space that we are. Okay, that denies, it, and, and I've heard that so many times. I'm just saying it right now. I just want to, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling the bandage off here, okay? Here's the issue with that. There's two main issues with that. And I've argued both these issues before. One, and the first and foremost main issue of that, is that God's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Alright, and so it's even described in the Psalms where it says, where am I going to get away from your presence? Even if I go to Sheol, which is their place of the dead, which we would translate as being, it could be hell or it could be whatever you want to say it is. Even if I go to hell, there you are with me. Alright? So he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. So first of all, to say what I just said denies his omnipresence. Secondly, it also denies the work of Christ. Because the work of Christ, by its very nature, was to bring us together. And so you'd have to fight against both those things. One is an over, overreaching and over-encompassing over part, of, part of the nature of God. One of, one of the things that, that makes Him who He is. That's one of his basic traits. He's omnipresent. And so we're going to deny that one first, then we've got to deny the work of Christ in order to believe that. I'm going to, I'm going to postulate to you, I'm just going to theorize to you this. That's just wrong. Okay? That point of view is just wrong. And, and so, if you've ever heard that, or that's kind of stuck in your head somehow, I want to just pray for cleansing right now. Just pray for cleansing over your brain. The God would just clean it up. And then, I mean, I know that sounds kind of funny, but just really, just pray God cleans that out. Because we, we need to become aware of, and this is the point I want to make from this, if we're really going to be here, we need to be present. And in order to be present, there's a few things we have to recognize. Alright? And, and like, we're present in this room right now. There's, there's a few things we need to recognize. One, we're not here alone. You're not sitting there by yourself. And so, your facial expressions, and the noises you make, and the things you respond to, and the things you don't respond to, they affect other people. I don't know if you know that. Okay, but, but to be really present here, right now, you need to understand that. And I'm not trying to make you paranoid about everybody staring at you all the time, because they're not. They're not. No one's looking at you just, just exclusively at you. But they may glance your way every now and then. I may even look at you every now and then while we're sitting here. It's okay. We're in the same room. We're occupying the same space. And so we need to be aware of that. But just like we need to be aware of the people that are here, we also need to be aware that Jesus is here. And and, and that's a little bit more difficult for some of us because we don't necessarily see him. Like the way we see the people that are around us. We, we recognize like the people around us. Like I see Kim and Trisha and Maddie and Aphrodite. I see Howard's waving at me. I mean, you know, but that doesn't, that does not negate or that does not impinge on the fact Jesus is here. Cause he's sitting right by Patrick right now. 
Doesn't everyone see him? No, I mean, he's right there. No, I don't know where he is, okay? I, I don't really see him. I, I didn't mean that. Okay, there was just an empty chair there. For those... <laughs> No, no, I, I just, I just picked that empty chair there because I, it, there's a, there's a, there needs to be, if we're going to be present, there needs to be some recognition of his presence. He didn't die and suffer for nothing. He died and suffered to be with us. That's at least the, one of the reasons he died and suffered. If we choose to recognize him in his presence, that's all for our betterment. That's all for the better for us. And if we choose not to, well, just like if we choose not to recognize there's people sitting around us. Right? You can be really lonely in a room full of people. And and part of that has to do with, at least as far as I'm concerned, not really being present. Part of that has to do with being present in your own mind or present in your own self but not really being present in the space that you're in. And so I want to encourage you with that because I know some of us, we struggle with that. We live in our minds, we live in our own mental space and our own fantasy space but we really don't live present with the people that are around us. And there's so much to be gained from that. So much to be gained from really interacting with people and observing what people are doing and what they're saying and taking an interest in the people that are around us. There's really something to be said for that. And you can always, and and, and I'm not picking on anything or anyone, but you can always blame the other for not taking an interest in you. But we need to look at ourselves first and really be present ourselves. And maybe take an interest in somebody around us. And so I want to encourage you to that. So Cornelius, that's what he says to Peter. He's like, well, we're here. We're here. Why were they here? See, the circle around him, the people that he gathered into his house, family, friends, neighbors, whoever they were, he had gathered them into his house. He'd been a person of influence in their life already. These people already knew about Jesus. These people already had some kind of a relationship with Jesus. Even though the apostles in Jerusalem weren't sure about it, even though Peter wasn't sure about it, even though James wasn't sure about it, even though there weren't many that were sure about it, Cornelius was sure about it. And his family was sure about it. And his friends and his neighbors who he had had influence over, they were sure about it. Because they had come into relationship with Jesus already. So there they were. Believers, a people of faith gathered, and they gathered for a reason. They were sharing in their faith, sharing in their relationship with one another, and they were ready, now listen, they were ready to comply. They had, they had already predisposed themselves that, okay, Cornelius is called for Peter. Peter's coming. We're going to gather and we are ready to comply with what God says. We're ready. In other words, they didn't come in saying, well, I'm just going to believe what I believe. I don't know what this guy has to say. Whatever. That's not how they came into this. It wasn't, well, you know, this guy, whatever. He's a big shot from Jerusalem. We have to listen to him. He doesn't even like us. You know, whatever. Nope. No. In fact, they got there, and, and part of... That, that Fraser, remember I tell you, he's telling a story? We're here. We're here. And the story behind we're here is, we've gathered because we all kind of believe the same thing, and we are ready to hear from God and comply with what He says. That's why we're here. So that's the story behind that. It's not just, oh, we're present here. That's not it. It's not roll call. It's not, hey, you know, we, we, we're here for this time because somebody told us we had to be here. Cornelius isn't paying us to be here. No, the story behind it is they want to be there. They all share in a faith together and they're ready to hear and comply with what God says. In other words, God's word to them through Peter is going to be his command. Not just a suggestion. They're here and they're ready. Wow. Could you imagine... 
I mean, seriously, could you imagine? We're going to gather. We're here. We're really here. Like on a Sunday morning, we're really here. Like we're here to worship. I mean, really here to worship. We're really here. And let that story come through. We're really here to comply. We're really here that God's Word is going to be my command and not just a suggestion. Yeah. We're of like faith. We're of like family. We're of like friendship. We're really present with one another. We're aware there's other people in the room. And we care. And we're not just in our head. And we're not just worried about whatever it was that was bothering us before we got here. But we're really here. Here. Jesus is here. These people are here. I'm ready to comply. Yeah, that's powerful. That's the story. That's the story. And so... And so Cornelius lets him know right off the bat, this is the story here. We're here. We're ready. We're ready to hear God's word as a command. We're ready to comply. And then God is here. Right? That's the second thing I want you to see through this, is that God is here. And, and God is witness. And I know that that's kind of weird for some of us, but he's always witness. He's always been witness. See, that used to be a threat to me when I was a kid. You know, God's watching. (laughs) My mom or my grandma would say that to me, and that was like a threat. And over the years, somehow, it's, it's become less of a threat and more of a comfort. God is witness. He's witness to to stuff that is happening in my life. He's witness to my failures. He's witness to my success. He's witness to me being mean. He's witness to me being nice. He's witness to all of those things. He's witness. And He's with me in my life and He loves me. And so over the years, God being witness has become something really a comfort in my life that I know He's near and I know He's present. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about God taking me to the woodshed. I'm just not. That whatever He has for me and whatever His purpose and His will is for my life, it's for the best. And I understand that. And somehow I finally came into some kind of maturity in that. That over the years I could even look back and see my grandparents, for example, and the times that they disciplined me. And some of it was somehow, sometimes it was pretty rough discipline in my life. But you know what? It was for my betterment. And I could see that later in life. And I couldn't see it then, because I'm a little kid. How am I going to see that when I'm a little kid? But as I grew up and I matured, I could then see that. And so somehow, I guess, that transfers over to God. And I'm seeing Him as my good Father, and I'm seeing Him as my Father who loves me, and that Father who is witness, and my Father who is always with me, and my Father who's looking out for me. And somehow, even in the moment, because I'm a grown person, I can come to a better decision about it and say, it's for my best, whatever it is. Right? That's maturity. I can't relate to God, and, and I know, you know we come to God as children and all of that, but I can't continually relate to God as a five-year-old. I can't continually relate to God as a ten-year-old even. Not in all things. Maybe in faith, I can have a childlike faith. That's one thing. But to relate to Him in every aspect, like a five or a ten-year-old, in that kind of an immaturity, so that every situation is, oh, oh, that's mean. Oh, that's nice. Because that's why, you know, five or ten year old, what else do they know? Lollipops are good. I like watermelon. Liver's yucky. Alright? Yeah, okay. I still eat liver. Why? Because it's good for me. And I'll make some onions and bacon with it, and I enjoy it. And it's still good for me. But, if you follow what I'm saying, i got a different perspective on it. Because I'm older. I get it. I eat my broccoli, okay? It's fine. It's good. I grew up some point. So, so God is witness. And, and part of learning to live in, in His presence is understanding that. Because there's no need to hide. There's no, well, and you can't hide. There's nowhere to hide. Again, what the psalmist say? I go to hell. Where are you at? He's still there. Where am I going to go? 
Behind that rock over there? No, he's still there. But it's recognizing his presence. Not just in a mental way. Not just in a theoretical way. Oh, he's, he's everywhere all the time. He is, but it's more than that. It's recognizing his presence in our moments of our lives. And in the actual living of our lives, here he is. Just like there's a room full of people here. Here we are. Here we are. Here he is. Yep, he's really here. He's really here. If you can't see him or hear him, that's fine. He's still here. That doesn't mean he's not here. So, So regardless of what we're perceiving through our eyes or our ears right now, there's a part of us that can recognize, a part in our spirit, a part in our hearts, that our soul that can recognize Jesus is here. And why we believe? Well, He says He is. Well, we've gathered in the name of Jesus. The Word of God says so. And if we've come here, if we've come here ready to comply with God's Word, Jesus is here. Jesus is settled. Jesus is here. So, I, I encourage you to let that settle into you tonight. See, God sees. These people had gathered. These people were here. They had gathered at the command of Jesus. They recognized God sees. God is here. They knew it. They actually took notice. And I don't know if you know what happens after this. That Peter starts to teach and preach. And the Holy Spirit just falls on these people. And they began to speak in tongues. And I mean just supernatural utterance begins to come out of them. And this moment changed the course of the New Testament church forever. This moment. That these people were ready. They were actually here. God was here. And they were taking notice that God was here. That's what really was going on. And then God did something. Somebody look at Matthew 18.20. I hope I didn't ruin the story for anybody. I mean, I, you know, we'll, we'll go back to that. But Matthew 18.20. Where two or three gather in my name, there am I with Okay, so he's here, right? I don't want I'm not I'm not making that up. I'm not fabricating that. We're not we're not fabricating that as a mass illusion here or some kind of mass deception. He's here. He is here. But we need to take notice of that. We need to take notice that Jesus is here. Just like we need to take notice that other people are here, we need to take notice that Jesus is here. Now, are you all following me how you can just get in your own head? Are you following me on that? Are you following me that you can be here without really being present with the people that are here? you follow me on that too? Yes. Okay. All right. So, part of what God calls us to, and and I'm trying to, to get this through, part of what God calls us to is to really be here with each other and with Him. That's, that's really, there's a call when we gather that we're here with each other and we're here with Jesus. And we're to take notice of that. To recognize it and to take notice of it. You see, they were ready, as I said before, to comply. They were ready to listen. They were there. So they were, they had come, they were ready, they were present. They were recognizing the other people who were present. They were recognizing Jesus was there. They took notice of it. And now they were ready to listen. What does God have to say through Peter? They want to hear. I want to hear God. And so they were ready to partake in wisdom. They were ready to partake in revelation. And here's what I want to get. This was their expectation. They came with an expectation to partake in wisdom and revelation. There they were, ready for it, set, go. And 
And that word listen, it tells a story. It says, I'm ready to listen. That story that that word listen tells is it implies that they're ready to obey. As I said before, they're ready to comply. So, let's look at, uh, somebody look at James 1.22. James 1.22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Wait a second. All right. So what about being a hearer only is self-deceptive? Yeah, but why? I mean, why is that self-deceptive though? Where does it only exist? In your head. <laughs> All right. Now, now follow the logic of that though. Why is it important that you're present then? Why is it important that you're present when you gather in the name of Jesus? What's going to happen if you're in your head? Nothing. All right? And so what if you hear what if while you're in your head you hear the word? Yeah, you hear it. Can you feel yeah, some people are going to feel good about that, right? Oh, I heard the word. That's good, right? Nope, it's self-deceptive because if it's only in your head, it's not doing anything. It's just in your head. So, 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 but, but think about that for a second. I just want you to really think about that for a second because a lot of what we were taught (laughs) wrongly (laughs) has to do with stuff in our head. All right. So, so you can live your life in your head. And a lot of us have jobs, or some of us have jobs, where you can kind of live in your head, as long as you can pseudo-function outside your head a little bit, you know? And and you can just kind of live in there. And so you can be like a rock superstar, uh, but you're actually working at McDonald's, okay? I mean, you could, because it's in your head. Or you could be, you know, whatever you think you are in your head, but you're doing whatever it is you're doing. I mean, it's possible. So the reality needs to be, this is where we really are, here now. God's really here now. We're taking notice of one another. We're taking notice of Him. And we're ready to listen to what He actually has to say. And implied in that, in the story, is we're ready to do it. Because if we just hear it, then we deceive ourselves. So there's something inherently self-deceptive about living inside of our heads. And we know that. We know that. Where do your crazy thoughts come from? Inside your head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. David Berkowitz became a Christian in prison. Well, he he said he was hearing voices from the dog. And he was a he was a Jewish man before, when he was the son of Sam. Once he in prison, uh, he became a Christian. And and I, I saw that on a special that he was on. Somebody interviewed him, but I knew that before because I think I've told this story before. But I was speaking in a church one time in Reedburn, New York, which is not too far away from the prison where he's at. And I got done ministering and I'd given a word over a guy about God using him where he's at or something. I can't remember. But he, he came up to me afterwards and he told me, he's like, yeah, I'm a prison guard over at this prison. And he said, I'm part of a Bible study with David Berkowitz. And, and told me years and years ago, this was years ago, he was telling me about being part of a Bible study with that guy. And how he's a believer and his whole life had changed since he'd been in prison. He'd been delivered. But see, he had to crawl out of his head. And we need to crawl out of our heads. And so this is that place. We gather in the name of Jesus, present with one another, present with Him. I know I keep repeating myself, but I'm hoping to catch you outside your head while I'm repeating myself so that you might hear me and ready to do what He's telling you to do. Ready to comply. Not here only, 
but hear and do, or the alternative is self-deception. That's what it is. Okay, another verse, Luke eleven twenty-eight. Luke eleven twenty eight. Go ahead, just read it out. <laughs> no pressure. Right. That's Jesus himself. Jesus himself telling you just like it is. Blessed rather are those who don't just hear the word, but actually do it. See, the last thing he says here and that I want you to get out of this is really the first thing he says to Peter, but this is the last thing I want to say about this, and that it's good. It's good. First thing he said to Peter, Cornelius said to Peter in the beginning of this verse, that it was good of you to come. Well, there's more to that story than it's good of you to come. It wasn't just a greeting. Like we might use that as a greeting. That's why I kind of moved it to the end. Because I want to give some meaning to it. That when he, he spoke that, when Cornelius spoke that to Peter, well, it was more than just approval. It was more than just saying, well, that was nice. I'm glad you came. It's more than approval of what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that it, it, it implies, and the story that that tells, that greeting tells, is true heartfelt gratitude. That's the story that tells. And so from the very start, from the very first thing that he says to Peter, one of the first things, the things that he gives out to Peter is this. He's like, the soil is good. And how do you know the soil is good? Because the soil of the heart is grateful. And a grateful heart, that's good soil. There's a, a bunch of stuff in the Bible that talks about the soil and the heart and, and getting the soil ready. Uh, I got a few verses for us. So I want to look those up real quick. Hosea 10:12. Uh, Hosea 10:12. It's the first one. Somebody look that up. And somebody else look up Jeremiah 4:3. Hosea 10:12. Jeremiah 4:3. Anybody have Hosea 10:12? Alright, so Hosea 10.12, the, the traditional traditional interpretation of Hosea 10.12 is breaking up the fallow ground of the heart. That, the way that's interpreted and the way that people understand that. Because it's talking about what, what are you going to sow in your heart. And, and it gives you a couple things there that we sow in our hearts. We sow these different things into our lives. Is that We need to break up the ground because it's hard. Fallow ground implies hardness. It's, uh, it makes it so you could throw all the seeds you want on the fallow ground. Uh, very few of them are ever going to take any root or grow because there, there's no soil. It's hard. It's like cement. And when I was younger, I've got a scar on my leg. I can show you later if you want. But I was in down in, living down in Georgia. And during the summertime, it's so hot down there, the ground just gets super hard. It's a clay-type ground, and it gets just really, really hard. And I was playing one day, I was jumping this ditch. I was, you know, why do kids do things? I have no idea. I'm jumping across a ditch back and forth, and I slipped while I was jumping, and my knee went into the side of the ditch, and it caught the skin on the side of my leg and just peeled the skin down the side of my leg. The ground was so hard. It was like jumping on cement. But it wasn't. It was, it was dirt. But it was so hard that it could rip the skin off my leg. Alright, that, that's pretty hard. And so think about, you're going to throw seeds on that in the blazing sun? It's going to die. I mean, you put water on it, water runs off of it. It's so hard. So you, you, you look at something like that and you, and you read this verse, it's talking about, it's like, well, that ground has to be broken up if it's going to be useful for anything. So that's why they have those big tractors with the discs on them. They go behind the tractors and they break up the ground and you'll see them doing it. In about a month, you'll see farmers out there just breaking that ground up. And they're going to break it up while it's still wet. 
after the snow. Because it's a lot easier to break up then than it would be if they let the sun bake it and get it all hard. So that ground is going to get broken up. Once it gets, and you're going to have to diss that a number of times, not just one time. You go over it. you got to go over it and over it. And you got to break it up. And then once it's broken up, then you can begin to think about, okay, I'm going to go down this, I'm going to make rows. And I'm going to make rows, I'm going to plant things. But the ground has to be ready first. And so Peter, when, when Cornelius speaks to Peter, the first thing he tells him and the story that tells is that there's good ground for the seed to be planted. So we're grateful in our hearts. And what that tells, what that tells uh, Peter is that we're not prideful. We don't know it all. We haven't come here to teach you anything. But we've come here ready, ready to receive like the broken up ground ready to receive the good seed of the word. We're ready. Our hearts are full of gratitude toward you for being here. See, the the hard places in us need to get broken up somehow. Or or all the good seed in the world. I mean, you can have somebody just stand there throwing good seed at you and it never grows and it never does anything because it just bounces off and it dies on you. Even if it sticks, it dies. There's nowhere to root. There's nowhere to grow. And so it's up to us to keep the ground soft. And that ground, you think about things like pride. Pride is hard. That's hard ground. Really hard ground. Living in fear is really hard ground. Living in shame can be really hard ground. I know that seems counterintuitive, but it's not. It, people that are afraid and people living in shame and in guilt, they're just protecting themselves all the time. They're so fearful. It's really hard ground. You know, that's not what God's called us to. And part of recognizing one another, part of being aware of one another, part of taking notice of one another and taking notice of Jesus is living soft. Of actually being a person that that can receive and give. I mean, a lot of us are givers here. I know that. A lot of us are good at giving. We'll give our time. We'll give our effort. We'll give our opinions. <laughs> we'll give our money. We'll, we'll give of our material stuff. I mean, we will. But... There's something to be said spiritually. And, and I'm not saying be a taker. I'm saying be a receiver. Able to receive from one another too. Because you know, so the thing that you do on a Sunday that could affect somebody's life the most might be able to receive a word they give you. That might be a changing point in somebody's life. Just to be able to receive that. To receive some ministry. To receive that healing, to receive whatever it is, you think this story is a perfect example of that. Cornelius and his household, man, they received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They were empowered by God through that. But Peter's the one whose life changed after this, because they were ready to receive. You see, the life change that really took place. And I'm not saying Cornelius, his family, and all them. I'm not saying they weren't changed, because that was a real blessing that God brought their way. But what was going to shape and going to change the church from that moment on, that was going to change the course of how the gospel was going to go from that moment on, on that, if, that was what happened in Peter. Cornelius and his family, awesome for them, but, but the whole world gets changed because Peter gets changed right there. The whole world benefited from that. Why? Because they're ready to receive. What did they give him? Nothing. Not really. They called him and said, we're, we're soft. We're ready. Our hearts are broken up. I'm ready to receive what you have. I'm ready. And he gave what he had. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they were ready to comply. And they were ready to listen. And they were ready to do what God told them to do. And they did it. And the whole course of church history was changed in that moment because they were soft. They were ready, and they received, and they were present, and they were recognizing that Jesus was there. Peter's life was changed, and the course of his ministry was changed from that point forward. Yeah. 
Well, traditionally, again, I'm going to give you a traditional interpretation of those verses in Hosea, that verse in Hosea, and we're going to read a couple more that kind of say the same thing. But traditionally, the idea behind that verse was repentance. What does that mean? Well, repentance means that we're willing to admit there's something wrong. In other words, I have a hard heart, and I want to change that. I want to go in a different direction with it. The, the bottom line and this is the scary word of how you soften your heart, is vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable. And and there's no, I don't know any other way around it. And if we're unwilling to be vulnerable, unwilling to be hurt, then we're going to be hard. And it's, it's not just in our relationship with God, it's in our relationship with each other. It's, it's being a, present with everyone else too. So, in other words, if I'm ready, say, I'm ready, I say I'm ready to comply, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and I get His word, but I don't trust the people around me, and I think they're going to judge me, am I going to give that word? Maybe not. So, so, do you see first things first? The first thing is, I have to be vulnerable. I have to be soft. And when I'm soft, and then I'm ready to comply, and I'm present, I'm going to be more likely to do what I'm told. Because that consideration then gets removed. And is that easy? It's not easy. I'm not saying it is easy. And we live in a world that doesn't reward that at all. There is nothing being rewarded in our world about being soft. Nothing. Soft-hearted, tender-heartedness is not really rewarded by anybody. In fact, it's exploited. It is exploited by the world we live in. And so I can't, I can't sit here and say, I can't sit here and judge anybody. All right, follow me. I can't. I, I can tell you what I believe the Bible says about it. I can tell you what happens when people do become tender-hearted. I mean, we can see that, but the the decision to be tender-hearted, wow, that's something that each person you got to make that on your own. And if you've been hurt, it's hard, difficult. I should say it's difficult. If you've been hurt over and over again, it's difficult. And uh, I don't know. I, I I can't talk anybody into that. Just can't. But I don't know any other way to do it. You know, uh, if you're taking the counseling course, there there are certain things in there I think they're helpful in forgiving people. There's certain tools that we have in forgiving people that have hurt us, forgiving people that have uh, let us down, forgiving people that have ignored us or have uh, put us into uncomfortable or dangerous situations or whatever it is, to, to be willing to forgive and find forgiveness in our heart. You know, I went through a, a long period of time where I was angry at my mother. And there were reasons for that anger. And, and regardless of the reasons why, I had to come to a place in my life where I, I forgave her. And that didn't happen overnight. And that didn't happen just because I said it happened. It happened over time and it happened with me continually just forgiving her every day. Every day of my life, just forgiving her. And and, and as I was able to, to work through that over a period of, and I hate to say this because some of you aren't really that much, you know, it's like half your life, but like, it took me 10 years. To, to really see some breakthrough in that, of forgiveness. But as that happened, my, my heart was becoming softer too. Because for me, that was really the, 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 the thing that, that caused me to tense up, caused me to, to be afraid, it caused me to be worried about somebody hurting me, was that. And so that's what I needed to do. You know, there's, there's uh, again, in the counseling materials, other tools, uh, breaking inner vows, part of that. 
uh, examining ourselves, seeing, you know, what things are we holding on to? What things have we spoken over ourselves? So, I, again, I, you know, it, the, the key word to it is vulnerability. But how that happens in each of our lives, it depends where we came from. But I, I do know that the tender-hearted, the being tender-hearted, is, opens up a lot of possibilities. Not only for us, but for the Holy Spirit to really move in us and among us. Let's look at the, the last two verses. Jeremiah 4, 3. All right. Yeah. Again, we're going to break up the fallow ground, break up the hard ground. Uh, Matthew thirteen eight is the last one. Matthew thirteen reason I, I left that one for last is this gives us the multiplication principle of the exponential principle of how God does things and and this is where I want to leave this in your heart and in your mind is that you make your decisions we're all going to make our decisions how we're going to live the soft heart though is that ground it's a a multiplication, an exponential multiplication ground where a seed gets planted there but can produce 30, 60, or 100 fold of what's been planted there. You think about Acts 10.33 and, and what happened later on in that and, and you think about the effect that that had on the church. I mean, really, how many people were here? We don't know. Let's, let's say that there were 20 there, or 30, or 50, or even 100. I doubt there was 100 people there. But you think about that. It, however many people were there, and and they, were, they had soft hearts, they were ready to listen, ready to comply, ready to obey. They recognized the presence of God and the presence of one another. The Holy Spirit fell on them. They complied with what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do, it began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Supernaturally, it began to speak in tongues. And it was a sign to Peter. And he said, who, who can stop these people from being baptized in water? In other words, who can stop these people from being accepted into the church whom God has already accepted? And Peter took that message back to the council and it changed the course of the church changed the course of church history, which in turn changed the course of world history. Because these few people had tender hearts. And the seed that was planted there exponentially grew 30, 60, 100 fold to the point billions of people have been affected through what they did. Wow. So what are our possibilities? I have no idea. Endless. What does the Holy Spirit want to do through us? Endless. The possibilities are endless. But what He's looking for, and, and what I believe He's still looking for, are people who are willing, who are open, who are soft-hearted, tender-hearted, and who are present with Him and each other, ready to comply. If we get all those things together, powerful stuff can happen and will happen but it starts with each of us again there's no mass hysteria it's just you <laughs> it's me it's our heart it's your heart my heart so let's take a few moments and let's pray and I just want to encourage you to respond to what God's speaking to you Maybe he's, he's revealing a, a hard heart. That's, that's okay. He can fix that. He can help you. And, but part of it's going to be some courage on your part too. 
if you have a hard heart and you really want it fixed, it's just going to take a little bit of courage on your part. And you need to know that right off the bat. Are you willing to put yourself in that position? The return is really good. I just can't, I can't, I can't uh, assess the risk for you. You have to assess the risk. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that as, as we look to you, I pray you teach us about the tender heart. And we live in a hostile world. And there's no denying it, it is a hostile world. But you're a loving God. And you're tender hearted toward us. So God, I, I just ask that you teach us what that means. Lord, if there's people in our lives who need to forgive, I pray that we would put ourselves to that the task of forgiveness. If there's people in our lives that we need to just let go that we would put ourselves to that task of just letting go. If there's vows that we made about, I'm never doing that again, or I'm never going to be this way, or I'm never going to put myself in that position, or whatever it was, I, I, I just pray it would be all about the task of breaking those vows in the name of Jesus and allowing you to cleanse us and cleanse our hearts and cleanse our lives. Because God, I pray that you raise up a people who are tender-hearted, a people who are fully present with one another, fully present with you, who actually recognize you in our midst. And I pray, God, that we'd be a people who would be ready to listen, ready to do. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you have your way in our midst. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would experience more of the supernatural. Holy Spirit would experience more of, of what it means to, to be in your presence, to see your manifestations, to hear you when you speak, to be used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in one another's lives. To speak your word with an authority and a boldness. To see people healed and raised up. To see people delivered, God, more and more. And I pray for the fruit of your presence in our midst. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Just take a moment. Just recognize Jesus here. Let's recognize one another here in this place and that we've gathered in the name of Jesus and recognize Jesus right here and right now. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Does anybody have a word they'd like to give? Or a vision?
Thank you, Lord. I saw a picture of um, people or a guy equipping us to uh, rein in our thoughts. So it was literally like a lasso grabbing thoughts and scenarios and places that our mind goes that drag us out of the moment so that we can stay present and stay with one another. And so now we just we agree together for binding of thoughts and tearing down strongholds in our midst of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we pray you'd move and that we'd move with you. If we ask it in Jesus' name. That's what we're by saying, Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming, everybody. Good to see you tonight. And we'll see you again.